0: Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 23, Acts chapter 23, and this is month number 12, and it's fair to say that this book will not be completed this month. My estimation will be that we've got three more months to go before Acts the Apostles will be completed, and it's fair to say that we've probably covered all of the main theological meat by now, and for the next several chapters we're going to see the end of Paul's ministry. Paul started very much on fire for the Lord, he did great things for the Lord, and as an apostle, he had the sign gifts, but as Acts starts to wind down, the sign gifts start to diminish. Back in Acts chapter 16, he was detained in a jail, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and the Lord God literally brought the walls down, the bars came off the walls, and had they wanted to, they could have escaped, but the Lord said, no, stay put, A man and his family are going to be saved this night, being the jailer, of course. And yet, by Acts 28, Paul is detained under house arrest for at least two years, and the walls don't come down. And Paul may have prayed and prayed and prayed, and yet the Lord said, No, you're going to stay put, Paul. Your time has pretty much come to an end. So I would say that the first 19 chapters of Acts the Apostles, perhaps skirmishing, Acts chapter 20, Contained the real meat of Acts of the Apostles. The real doctrine of Acts of the Apostles. From Acts chapter 2. We discovered how the Apostles. And only the Apostles. Not the women. Spoke in tongues. At least 12 languages. By Acts chapter 10. We discovered Cornelius and his friends speaking in tongues. And they spoke in tongues to show Peter's companions. That the Gentiles Would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. As they had received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And by Acts chapter 19. Paul discovered a group of disciples. Friends of Apollos. Associates of John the Baptist. Wandering around. Not yet saved. And he asks them have they received the Holy Ghost. so on and so forth. And when they say no. We haven't heard. There is a Holy Ghost. Paul lays his hands on them. And they speak in tongues. And I think it's verse 8 from Acts 19. Paul goes into a local synagogue and preaches to them. And no doubt, that group of individuals, of 12 men, were also present in that synagogue, preaching to them, because tongues are a sign to unbelievers, whereas prophecy is a sign to believers. But last week, we ended in Acts 23, verse 18. So he took him, and brought him to the chief captain, and said, "Poor the prisoner called me unto him, and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee, Had something to say unto thee. This young man is identified in verse 16 as Paul's sister's son. And I wonder if this young man, Paul's nephew, was either a Pharisee or a priest. He's certainly affiliated to organized religion. He's made aware of this conspiracy from verse 13. And again, 13, the devil's number. And this conspiracy has been introduced to the chief priests and elders, from verse 14. And this curse, this oath, which has been decided by 40 people, has now been made known to Paul's nephew. Three times in Acts 23, verse 12, verse 14, and verse 15, do we read about death. They wanted to kill Paul, 12, slain Paul, 14, 14. Kill him. Verse 15. And Paul pictures. On many occasions. The Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to say to me. Who followed the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say clearly. The Holy Ghost. Followed the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you were to ask me. What man. Is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say Paul the Apostle. Because three times. Jesus was denied. And here three times. The Jews have decided to. Kill Paul. And. Had they got their way, Paul would been put to death in a very public way. But we know from Romans 8:28 28, how all things, not some things, but all things work together for good. To those that love God, to those which are the called, according to his purpose. So, if you're saved, you can sit back and take great delight in the Lord's sovereignty over your life. But 18 shows us that the chief captain has now been told about this conspiracy. Look at verse 19, please. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is that that thou hast to tell me? Here we get a picture of a gentle Gentile. And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council, as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them? For there lie in waits for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath, that they will neither eat nor drink, till they have killed him. And now are they ready looking for a promise from thee? I said last week, and I said over the last several weeks, that some people suggest that Paul, after visiting the third heaven, was in a rush to return to earth. We know from tradition, quote unquote, that when Lazarus came back from the dead, he never smiled again. And I guess if I was to get a glimpse of eternity, if I was to see my blessed Lord in eternity, if I was to see the great prophets and apostles and kings and queens that were saved, going back to creation, I too wouldn't be in a hurry to return to this cursed earth. And yet, as long as we are still here, there's work for us to do. But the reason why I say that is because, had Paul been so desirous to return to the Lord as some people believe he was then he wouldn't have made this request to his nephew to go and find the chief captain to warn him about this conspiracy to be made public he would have said no it's okay sit back nephew i'm ready to go after from the body present with the lord but i don't think so i think paul loved life i think paul wanted to stay on this earth paul had a great love for the churches paul wasn't suicidal paul had a purpose And therefore it's wise for us when we hit rock bottom, when we feel overly low, we feel that our work is done here to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and to push on. But here the chief captain has been made aware of what is about to occur. And the young man wants him to do what he can to protect his uncle. It's my belief that this young man wasn't saved, neither was his mother being Paul's sister in fact we were told back in Philippians chapter 3 how Paul suffered the loss of all things when he came to the Lord Jesus Christ he really to give up family, friends property, so on and so forth to follow the Lord Paul's family were unsaved and yet by the grace of God his nephew is now interceding for him look at verse 22 please so the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, see That thou tell no man. That thou show these things to me. Don't let others know that you visited me. With this information. Keep it to yourself. Which is a somewhat silly thing to say. The young man wasn't naive or foolish. He may have been young in years. But he was mature. When it came to not broadcasting. Such a conspiracy. 23. And he called unto him two centurions. Saying make ready. 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea. And horsemen three score and ten and spearmen two hundred at the third hour of the night and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe under Felix the governor I want two centaurians which were responsible for a hundred men apiece he so got two hundred soldiers I want three score and ten and spearmen at the third hour of the night prepared with beasts being animals to set Paul on This is almost a midnight dash. I want an armed guard, ready at a moment's notice, to move. I want Paul to be brought safely under Felix the Governor. I don't want Paul's blood on my hands, I want Paul out of the way. And yet think this for one moment if you will. You've got 40 men, not 400 men, you've got 40 men, perhaps lightly armed. And yet this chief captain, on the one hand, is to be commended for rescuing Paul, and yet, on the other hand, is perhaps somewhat of a coward. He doesn't want this crowd to try and storm where Paul is being detained. He wants him out of the way. What do they say? Out of sight, out of mind. And therefore, he assembles a small army. Look at verse 25. And he wrote a letter after this manner Claudius Lysis, unto the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greeting. He wants to butter him up. He wants to own brownie points with Felix. He wants to be seen as a great saviour, can I say? A great man. Someone who's been able to thwart and attack. And yet, at the same time, he could have so easily have kept Paul safe in a cell. He's got at least 200 soldiers, referred to in 23. He's got 3 score and 10 spearmen. And I would have thought just one spearman, or just 2 or 3 spearmen, if they were any good, could have taken out probably half of this group of 40 men. That were conspiring against the Apostle Paul's life. And yet I think this man is somewhat complex. He wants him out of the way. Because he thinks to himself if Paul stays put. And he dies on my watch. I might be responsible for his death. He knows also that Paul is a Roman. And therefore he is a tactician. Look at 27. This man was taken of the Jews. And should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him. Having understood that he was a Roman. That is a lie. He wasn't aware that Paul was a Roman. Until Paul told him he was a Roman. In fact he interrogated Paul. He scourged him. He took him with great violence. Because he wasn't aware that Paul was a Roman. And here you get a picture of such a person. Being what we call a man pleaser. 28. And when I would have known the cause wherefore they accused him. I brought him forth unto their counsel. Whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law. But to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of deaths or bonds. The latter part is probably correct, but the former is not. And this is why it's so important to read the word of God carefully. Because an individual may come along, an unsaved individual may come along, read this piece of scripture and say there's a contradiction. Because Paul told us such and such from the earlier verses written by Dr. Luke. And yet this man is telling us something else. Of course Dr. Luke is giving you the accurate accounts of what happens, whereas this man is embellishing the truth. And this goes back to a conversation I had yesterday outside Charing Cross train station. A chap came over to me, took one of our gospel tracks, walked away, came back 20 minutes later and said to me, I've seen you on YouTube. You're ex-Catholics of Christ, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. And he said to me, why do you uh, distort certain beliefs that they have? And I said to him, like what? And he said to me, well, purgatory, for example, and uh, we discussed, Matthew chapter 5, where it speaks about if you are detained, uh, you have to pay a farthing to escape the jail. And he said to me, well, that's a picture of purgatory. And I said, no, it's not. First of all, Matthew chapter 5 is speaking about you, as an individual, paying money to get out of that jail. Those in purgatory can't pay money to get out of purgatory. Your church has twisted the meaning of Matthew chapter 5. And I put some more points to him. I tried to explain to him the deeper things of scripture. He wasn't hostile I should say. Although he had been drinking. And I gave him another tract. And I said to him "You know, what's your name out of interest. He wouldn't give me his name. But he shook my hand. And he turned around and walked away. He's the kind of person that would read this piece of scripture. And suggest that a contradiction has been found. And yet he'd be wrong to make such an assumption. He'd be wrong to think such a thing. As he was wrong when it came to Matthew chapter 5 speaking about a Jew, not a Catholic, under the law, not in the church age, having to find a way to escape the Sanhedrin's detention of him. Nothing to do with purgatory whatsoever. Purgatory, just as a quick footnote, is a wicked Catholic invention designed back in the dark ages to make money from ignorant Catholics. And you were told in Second Peter two one how false teachers have always done that. Paul's teachers have always made merchandise from ignorant and on many occasions unsaved people. But my text here from Acts 23, 29 gives a picture of an ignorant man, a man pleaser, wanting to help Paul to some extent, and yet on the other hand wanting to receive brownie points from Felix. But look, if you will, at verse 30 please. And when it was told me how that the Jews lay wait for the man... I sent straightway to thee, and gave commandment to his accusers also, to say before thee what they had against him, farewell. That much is true, and yet that part of that wasn't true. This was a midnight dash, like I say. Not much notice was given, not much preparation was put in place, but time was of the essence. So therefore when it says, And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, via Paul's nephew of course, I sent straightway to thee, that's true, and gave commandment to his accusers also, to say before thee what they had against him, farewell. And again, that much is not true. He's very much like a politician. It's like the Catholic Church. If you've ever listened to statements that the Pope makes, he will say one thing to one group of people, and he'll turn around and say something completely different to another group of people, like politicians and that's why, as Bible believers, you've got to go to the Scriptures every single time for every single purpose. Because if you just listen to people online, or on television, or on the radio, and never read your Bible, you'll have no idea what is true and what is false. Look at 31, please. Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul, and him my knight to Antipathus. On the morrow, left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the castle. But when they were come to Caesarea delivered the epistle to the governor presented paul also before him paul's finally escaped as some might say by the skin of his teeth but i don't think so we know that the lord told us how not a hair of your head would be touched if you're saved you are saved and yet from a study i did a few days ago looking at romans 8:28, neither death nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor creatures nor height or depth can separate you from the love of God. That much is true concerning your everlasting salvation, of course. But your body may perish. And that's why Christ told you, don't fear him, that can kill the body and soul. But I say unto you, fear him, that can kill body and soul in hell. And therefore Romans 8, the last several verses, speaking about one's eternal security, their soul, not their physical body. So Paul wasn't fearful of dying. Paul wasn't afraid of death. Paul was ready to die. He knew that the moment... He got saved, Acts chapter 9 verse 6 for memory. He was saved. And yet, as I keep saying, and I'll repeat it again before this broadcast ends, he knew it was more important to stay put for the brethren. And that's a lesson that we all need to learn. But Paul is now back on safe territory. And we read from verse 34. When a governor had read the letter, he asked what province he was. And when he understood that, he was a Cilicia... I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Now, Roman law has very much found its way into British law. Most of British law goes back to the time of the Romans. For example, if I was to be arrested today and put before a magistrate, and if I was to be accused of certain crimes, the court affords me first of all a defence barrister, known in America as an attorney. And also, on top of that, the prosecution or the prosecuting barrister, the prosecuting attorney, has to put his case forward to the defence team so they can examine what case has been put against their defendant, their client. And here, 35, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers also come. So Paul is now being detained. He won't just listen to Paul's side of events, which is fair enough. He won't just listen to Paul's accuser's side of events He wants to get both sides of the story And the Romans, for the most part, were pretty fair Even Pontius Pilate tried on three occasions To release the Lord Jesus Christ In fact, he told you that Jesus Christ was innocent Even Judas, after he betrayed the Lord Made it clear that Christ was innocent And off Judas went to repent And of course that repentance didn't save him, damned him. Whereas Peter's repentance got him back into fellowship with the Lord. Two types of repentance in the scripture. But here, Paul has now been summoned. He's in the dock, if you will. And the latter part of 35. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Like Jesus was detained in Herod's hall. Like Jesus was asked to give an account of himself. And it's fascinated me that when Christ stood in the presence of Herod, he didn't say a word. He was more vocal when it came to Pilate than he was when it came to Herod. And there's many reasons for that. And as far as we know, Herod died lost and Pilate died lost. But Paul, does he not appear as a type of Christ? Almost treated with contempt from day one. Hated by the Jews and misunderstood by the Gentiles and yet next week we'll pick it up in Acts 24 and once again Paul is going to speak for himself but I will say this that if you find yourself in a courtroom and I think maybe over the next 5 or 10 years many of us which are saved many of us which do street work may find ourselves in courtrooms in our own countries having to explain ourselves and you have one or two options you can either get A defense barrister or lawyer to represent you, or you can represent yourself. Now, if you represent yourself, be aware of one thing, that those that you will come up against are professional judges, lawyers, barristers, attorneys. And they can trip you up. They can turn you inside out. If you get someone to represent you, and if such a person isn't saved, that may be problematic, But when Christ came up against the powers that be, he defended himself. When Paul came up against the powers that be, he defended himself. So you have scripture when it comes to whether or not to defend yourself or to let someone defend you. Of course, Christ was Almighty God. And Paul was the greatest man post-John the Baptist that ever lived. So you've got two very individual uh, characters, very much exceptions, not the norms, that were picked were chosen, were anointed to do quite remarkable things during very unusual times. So that will conclude Acts chapter twenty-three, and just a very brief recap before I conclude today's broadcast and today's chapter. What starts back in verse one with Paul beholding the council, feeds into verse two with Ananias, the high priest commanding Paul to be Slapped across her face. And Paul. From verse 3. Retaliates with his tongue. God shall smite thee. Thou whited wall. And yet when Christ is spat upon. Mocked. Blasphemed. All he says in a very gentle tone is. What have I done to deserve this? Have I spoken against the law? Tell me about it. If not why have you assaulted me? He takes the abuse. For thou sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And verse 4, they say to Paul, Revidest thou God's high priest? Do you know you're speaking to Paul? And Paul, within a flash, corrects himself in verse 5. Brethren, brothers and sisters, I know what the scripture says Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. And yet John the Baptist spoke evil of the ruler of the people, John the Baptist condemned Herod for having his brother's wife and once again you get a picture of two saved Jews both with their old natures and both handling two situations in two different ways and yet Paul going the extra mile according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 concerning being a Jew to win Jews to the Lord really does put those of us which are saved to shame. Many times we go on the streets. And we get into conversations. Debates. Discussions with people. We lose our call. And I know that I speak from experience. And that's why it's best to button it. To be cool. Don't rise to provocation. Don't lower yourself. To such people's levels. But verse 6. Is very interesting. But when Paul perceived but the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. He cried out in the council of men and brethren, so on so forth. He perceived that such people were Sadducees, one group of Jews, and the other Pharisees, and he starts to plead with them. And the reason why he didn't know that they were Pharisees or Sadducees until this piece of time, or this piece of scripture, was because Paul was almost blind. And for a writer, for a scholar, for someone who liked to read and write, that must have been devastating for him. In fact, he would tell us in Second Corinthians chapter eleven and twelve how he begged the Lord three times to take the thorn out of his flesh. And the Lord said, No, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. So next time you think you're having a hard deal, a raw deal, next time you think life is pretty hard in you, just think about the Apostle Paul. And he starts to lay his case out for the resurrection of the dead, from the dead and the Sadducees don't believe in such a thing whereas the Pharisees did believe in such a thing and Paul thinks to himself perhaps I'm in good company perhaps I'm going to get some of these Pharisees saved we're not told that and from this detention, this examination Jesus Christ appears to Paul in verse 11 be of good cheer Paul for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem so must thou bear witness also at Rome Jerusalem is going to continue to decline. from our remit. And Rome is going to continue to grow. The Jews are going to be discarded. They're going to be destroyed in 70 AD. Titus will surround them. Titus will burn their temple down. Titus will cause them to be starved. There will be a great uh, pitch there. Of what's going to happen in the tribulation. And some of those Jews. Some of those women Will eat their children to survive. And yet we are told we to not in Romans chapter 11. How the Jews are beloved for their father's sakes. So they're not permanently discarded. Just temporarily during the church age. From that vision from the Lord Jesus Christ. A group get together and try to conspire to kill Paul. Word reaches his nephew. And his nephew makes it clear to this chief captain who steps in, rescues Paul, no doubt by the Lord's sovereign mercy. Paul has then been transported from one location to another location where he's now going to give a defense of the faith. He was told he would do that from Acts chapter 9. Jesus told him from Acts 9 that he would preach to kings and rulers. And he did so on every given occasion that he was able to do so. And here... He's arrived in Herod's Judgment Hall. A pretty wicked place, a pretty ugly place to be detained. And yet, watch him go over the next couple of chapters. He's going to preach on temperance, holiness and righteousness to come. And Felix is going to quake in his boots, like they say. And I've often thought to myself how great it would be to be able to see someone quake in their boots. When you preach against such things, about such things, concerning such things, and yet... Most people today are completely dead from the neck up, completely indifferent to the things of the Lord, because we are living in the last days. So that will conclude Acts chapter 23, all 35 verses. And uh, next week, Lord willing, we will look at Acts 24, which will probably be done in two parts. And that will conclude this month. And then the following month, we go into month number 13.